So not only is the organization that's bringing me in letting go of specific objectives in terms of, you know, it's kind of open, but then I'm also letting go of what's going to happen because I'm not controlling how it is. I'm just holding the space. And they're really the ones that are leading it. So one of my tenets of my work is there's a leader in every chair. So I am there, but they're part of it. They are just as much a leader of the process as I am. So every circle goes in a different way, even if it's the exact same book. Welcome to Beeline, a podcast brought to you by the Hive Change Consultancy and hosted by its CEO, Andrew Tilling. My name's Gemma Aston, and I'm part of the leadership team at The Hive. Our job is to serve leaders like you who are committed to making a positive impact. I've put together this podcast series and invited some passionate and knowledgeable change makers to help us find the beeline, the simplest way to bridge the gap between pain points and solutions, and to give you the resources to support your leadership journey. Beeline. Lead the way. As a leader looking to lead change, I'm constantly having to push myself out of my comfort zone and take teams with me. And there's this balance that needs to be struck between doing things well, getting it done, and finding ways to do things better. That learning, that constant need for uh, professional development, both for me and for my team, has led me down many rabbit holes of exploration in terms of books. But something's always stuck with me. And that's something I, I learned uh, when I was studying meditation and this difference between getting something in your head and then having a direct realization of that experience where something just becomes much more visceral, it becomes part of you. It's that deeper level of learning. Trying to create deeper levels of learning is something which as a trainer is really important to me and the associates at The Hive. And also a shared sense of learning is an essential part of our collective intelligence. So how do we go about embedding deep learning in teams? It's got to be something that's done consciously. And for me, I don't feel like I've quite nailed it yet. There's got to be a better way of doing it. So I thought the best person to reach out to for that is my guest today. My guest is, um, she, well, she's a podcast host herself of The Leader Learner, and she runs an organization called Emerge Book Circles. And EmergeBookCircles.com is there to help, well, ensure that you get more out of the learning that you do than simply reading books alone. It's an absolute pleasure to have her with us today on Beeline. Teresa Destrebeck, welcome to Beeline. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I've got to ask, how did you get here? I mean, how did you get to the point where you are leading people in such a profound way to just take that deeper moment and absorb what it is that's really right there on the page in front of us? It's been an interesting journey and it started, I never would have imagined it. So my first career was actually as a traditional school teacher. I taught high school history and then I taught middle school special education and English as a foreign language. Then I moved into special education, just generalist. And over time, I got into educational leadership 
and then through various routes, I ended up getting into coaching. I decided to leave traditional education, needed a coach myself because I had no idea where to go or what to do. <laughs> and But at the time of my actually getting coached, I never thought I would become a coach, <laughs> which was really interesting. And at the time I was job shadowing and I was like, I had always imagined that I was just going to, going to go into education and I would you know, become a leader or not. And that would just be my path. Mm-hmm. And so at 35 and I was like, wait, this whole dream that I've had since I was 10 is now gone. What do mm-hmm. I do? I hired a coach and eventually I was so lost in terms of what to do next. I tried a little bit of everything. I worked at a nonprofit. I job shadowed. I'm like, I love to write. Maybe I'm copywriting. I worked for a fitness organization. I tried all these different things. I tried being a personal trainer. I got online personal training certified so I could do that. And eventually I fell into an organization that focused on doing health coaching and they hired me to do their e-learning, which then I was like, okay, so, but I had to become a coach in order to become an e-learner in order to build their platform for e-learning. And so I got certified as a coach. And then while I was in that process, I was like, oh, this is really great. So then I started my coaching journey about a decade ago. And as I was coaching people, I was reading all of these books and I recognized that I was consuming a lot, but I wasn't doing anything with it. So I could very easily say, oh, this is a great book to a coaching client, but the books were not helping me to walk my talk either as a leader. And so I said, there has to be something different. And I've always been a reader. I've always been part of book clubs. So I had this idea of, can I take what often is seen as kind of a something that women do, you know, they get together once a month and drink wine and talk about books. Can I transform it into something really powerful within organizations to really support leaders? Mm. So kind of combines my education in education and my coaching background together to create these, I call them experiences, Mm. book experiences together. It's been four years now and uh, seems to be going great based on the feedback I get. I'm looking back on times where I've gone on input mode, you know, and you're just absorbing as much as you can. And it's like, maybe there's a little bit more time, maybe it's a little bit looser in the diary. So I'm going to, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on me or trying to see what's out there and update my learning. And during those times, I know I'm guilty of it, where it's like, I'm looking for almost for sound bites, or I'm looking for confirmation and confirmation bias is a big thing. So like, oh, there you go. The book says that thing that I've been thinking for some time. So I can use that quote to justify my own thinking again, but that's not learning. That's not growth. It's just kind of reinforcing the armory. Right. And where I found it to be um, most powerful for me, I think is, is when I'm looking to train other organizations in, in whatever it may be. And one of my team comes forward with says, look, hey, do you know, what? we should really cover this. And there's always this point where I kind of go, oh, I don't know whether or not I want to dismiss that now, because that doesn't sound like it's in line with the thing that I want to say. <laughs> but if I can sit on that long enough to go, okay, no, tell, tell me more about that and why that's an important fit. And eventually, you know, you start seeing this amazing insight and letting go as a leader, as a training designer, to open that space for, for the connections that other people have made and, and resources that they've been able to draw on has 
time and time again opened up an extraordinary learning experience for um, for the delegates and i think it's that thing about collective intelligence is something we talk to a lot at the hive is that you know no one of us is smarter than all of us and letting go of that control and allowing that diversity of thinking in can really make a difference i'm and then i think to a book circle kind of experience where you've got different professional people with a broad range of experience talking in depth around a piece of insight or piece of learning it can't help but enrich that learning right and take it to a whole new level and take it out of our head and into something that's a little bit more visceral and a bit more connected i mean i haven't sat in one of your experiences so i don't know but is that is that kind of what we're going for exactly it's exactly what we're going for because when i lead a book circle i'm in the mode of facilitator and coach so i'm not the subject matter expert and I'm not coming in with a specific objective. So when someone comes to a trainer, you know, on a specific, they have this training workshop and they know what the objectives are at the beginning. It's all set out. But when it comes to the book, the way that I organize the book circle is here's the book. Everyone's going to come to this book and get something different out of it. And even if I run a, two book circles with the same organization, what I actually do in each circle is totally different. So a few days before we're set to meet, I will send them an email and say, here are six or seven ideas for what we can do, how we can spend our time. How would you like to spend your time? So not only is the organization that's bringing me in letting go of specific objectives in terms of, you know, it's kind of open, but then I'm also letting go of what's going to happen because I'm not controlling how it is. I'm just holding the space. And they're really the ones that are leading it. So one of my tenets of my work is there's a leader in every chair. So I am there, but they're part of it. They are just as much a leader of the process as I am. So every circle goes in a different way, even if it's the exact same book. Let's talk to circles for a minute, because for me, a circle is a, is a really powerful space. It's that leveling effect that neutralization of, the, of any kind of power circles goes right back to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, right? It was just like, there's no, there's no hierarchy here, even though we call it King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, but <laughs> there's no hierarchy. It levels it out, but that, that leader is facilitator to, to ensure that everybody has equal voice. I think it's especially around DE and I work and trying to get that, that diversity of thinking in the room. It, it's never been more important than now, I think, because we've got so much more intelligence and insight available to us should we give that space space and room to breathe what is it about the circle that meant this was something that you wanted to push forward and bring right into the heart of the name of your organization to me growing up as a teenager there was always lots of clubs in my high school and there was something about a club and oftentimes when we think about book we think of a book club and there's something for me that was really viscerally negative about the idea of a club, because to me, that was about hierarchy. It was about who's the most popular. There was some there was the who's in and who's out. And it didn't feel at all inclusive to me. And I have been engaged in circle work for many years. So there's an organization called the Circle Way. There's an organization that I volunteer for called Healing Circles Global. 
And that metaphor of the circle is really powerful because as you said, it takes away the hierarchy. And one of the things that, you know, back way back thousands of years, we would sit around and engage in conversation around a fire, around a circle. And we would share stories and it was our words and our stories that fueled the fire the longer we stayed, the more we fed the fire. To me, it, there's something really powerful about that. Being in circle, not having any hierarchy, and being on equal footing. You know, I do a, um, a martial art called capoeira. It's a Brazilian martial art, and I've been going for the best part of a decade and a half now. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I get the opportunity to teach the art form with my wife, um, who's uh, Professora Catarina Violi, and she's... Um, yeah, a powerful force in itself. But you know what? All that work takes place in a circle. And it is the most profound thing. We do all the, all the working out. We do all the, the learning of the movements. But it's when we come together in this space, sit in circle, and there's this tremendous focus. And if you've ever had the opportunity to see it and you know, watch a few videos of Capoeira, when you see it at its best, it's, it's a lot of energy and a lot of focus all on these two people in the middle who are interacting and trying to see where their game is is going to take them and it's the game that is the teacher that helps you to deal with situations outside of that circle but it's that it's that pressure cooker um that that is created and you know when you spoke to that you know that fire in the middle and you know fueling with it um really with the people from the the energy the people who are, who are participating often through song with capoeira um it's a very profound and yeah, I mean, well, it's a, it's a tribal experience, right? It's it's bringing us right to the core of who we are as community. Yeah, I think that there's something there's something magical about it. Even sitting at a table, how we are with people is really important in terms of body language. And and I remember being with a leader, and they're behind their desk, and you're on the other side of the desk. It creates this barrier between you. But when you're in circle, there's no barrier. And so it's open space and it's open for all of us to be free to speak our truth and to feel connected as well, because we don't have barriers, physical barriers, but we also don't have line of sight barriers. So we can see everyone. And I think it's really powerful. So if I'm a leader and I'm looking to lead change, I don't... <laughs> I want barriers. <laughs> I've got to keep this thing on track, right? I've got this agenda I need to deliver. And um, letting go of control is a real fear of that because then everything gets, you know, crazy and I need to deliver on this this change that stuff that's going to happen. And we know, we know that this isn't the mindset that we want to lead with because that's, you know, therein lies, you know, um, a, a hugely limited level of impact that we can deliver because you know, as leaders we can only be effective through the work of others but how do you help leaders to shift that mindset and embrace that idea of that that shared learning experience and indeed that that shared contributing experience it's a really interesting question and in a way i would say i don't help them they help themselves and i think sometimes we go to outside resources to get help and so often the help is already inside of us it's just we need somebody to peel it back and so i think part of it is helping people to see a different way and i think the book circle work does that because when when i read a book i come to that book with my perspective 
my lens of all my past experiences, how I grew up, the culture that I grew up in. But Andrew, you come to a book with your past experiences. And if I only read a book by myself, I'm only going to have my perspective and the author's perspective. Mm. But I, if I read a book with you and with eight other people, we have all those different perspectives coming to the table. So when I am so focused on, if I'm a leader and I'm focused on the task and I can't see another way, I'm not willing to kind of do this circle work that's a little bit more open, it helps if I can see other perspectives. And so really my work is not in guiding anyone or helping anyone or telling somebody how to be a different leader, but it's about creating their sp the space for them to see other perspectives so they can see it for themselves. Because we all know, I mean, through coaching work, we're much more likely to follow through with something that we've decided to do than follow through on somebody else's advice. I love that idea of that, that shared experience. I've been speaking a lot with my, um, with my wife about this with regards to screen time. Because, you know, before, um, you know, if you want to go and watch a, a film or a movie or a TV program, it would be everybody sitting around the TV watching it. Or you go to a cinema and it's a, it's a huge shared experience. So you know, let's take it back even further. Theatre, right? It's a shared experience. Um, I've tried being in a show where there's only one member of the audience. It's, it's not a healthy experience at all, I promise. So, you know, when you, when you um, have that wider audience and that shared experience, it really makes something really special and tangible. But now it's a whole, bunch, a whole family sitting around with a different screen, watching a different thing at the same time. And, and where science is observing that as being a problem is, is with young people not getting the emotional regulation of more experienced people in the way that they respond to a trigger on the screen so that emotional responsiveness or that regulation fails to come into place and that means that it can create traumatic experiences and scarring experiences or any other experience you can think of because because there's no there's no emotional regulation from from the tribe around you so that uh, we're trying to really come back into shared screen time as much as we can for our daughter so that we're, we're having that shared experience. And thinking about from, from a book point of view, you know, and that piece of learning there, I'm, I'm sitting there reading and I'm absorbing, trying to you know, absorb this learning as best I can. And as I mentioned before about this idea of confirmation bias, you know, I'm just looking for the stuff that confirms my thinking. Am I really leaning into the stuff that challenges me or am I dismissing it? If I'm in the shared experience with that, when I dismiss it and it's like, well, hang on a minute, before you dismiss that so quickly, mister, what does that point to in your behavior that perhaps you're ignoring right now? I can see the profound value in that. When I decided to leave um, traditional education, part of it was because I was struggling with my manager. And I went to, at the time, you know, the local bookshop. This was before Amazon was really big and you could get online books. And I got all these books on dealing with difficult people and on leadership and all of that. <laughs> and I read them all. And exactly what you said happened. I got validation. So especially the if I think about the dealing with difficult people book, it didn't actually focus on what I could do differently. It labeled all the difficult people. Oh, okay. So as a leader, you're going to come across this kind of person and this kind of person and this kind of person. And all it did was reaffirm the judgments that I already had mm. about my manager at the time, because there was nobody there to hold me accountable to my behavior. 
There was nobody there to help me shift perspectives. It was really easy for me to fall into the trap of confirmation bias. Oh yeah, this author is just exactly saying what I already believe. So when you're reading with someone, you have, it's not a paid coach, but you have a peer mentor Mm -hmm. there to guide you and say, hey, what about this? And one of the ways that I organize my book circles is not only do we meet together, but in between our sessions, they're partnered with someone. So they have a learning partner and they're with that person for the entire journey. So when we read a book, we don't read a book just for and meet one time. We meet anywhere from four to six times over several months. So it's really a journey. It's not a one-time workshop and then you leave it and you go on. It's constantly churning itself. And so in between, they have that learning partner and that's their peer mentor. That's somebody to go to, to not only hold them accountable to the entire experience, but hold them accountable to their learning and hold them accountable to taking in and seeing their own blind spots. You're turning a book into a, a vehicle for change. Yeah. And you're holding people to that journey as they go through that process. It's remarkably powerful. I mean, when I think about the, I mean, the book that I'm writing at the moment is for uh, a methodology that we have. And uh, I know how challenging it can be to embed that methodology as learning uh, within an organization. Uh, and my, one of my big fears is that the book goes out and people take it on its surface level without actually doing the work to shift those behaviors, because then it will be, yeah, oh, that's, that's useful to a degree, maybe if I remember to use it, as opposed to now I'm going to start applying this thinking. And then once you apply the thinking over time, well, then well, that's where you get the real benefit. So sitting, you know, just listening to you to speak, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the point because how much value is unleveraged sitting at a bookshelf? Yeah. It's shelf development. That's what I call it. Shelf development. Shelf nice. development. <laughs> you buy a book, you read it, you put it on the shelf, then you pick up another book and you read it and then you put that one on the shelf. But all the ideas stay on the shelf. Mm. The metaphor that I like to make is around gardening. You can have an entire garage full of seeds. Now, and all that that is is potential. That's potential vegetables or plants or whatever. It's just sitting there. And you can take out the packet of seeds and look at it and say, oh yeah, this seed looks like this and this seed looks like that. But unless you're using it, unless you're planting them, unless you're tilling the soil, you're nurturing it, you're giving sunlight, you're giving it water, you're giving it attention. They say that talking to plants is good. Unless you're doing that, the seed will just mold and die. Just like the ideas in a book. You can read a book, you can have your pen, you can underline the great ideas. But I can guarantee you five minutes after you close that book and put it back on the shelf, you probably can't remember any of the quotes that you underlined. So one of the things that I invite people to do is to not just look, think about what they captured from the book, but what can they create from what they captured. So Andrew has written this book and he has written this great idea. And you underline that quote. What are you going to create from that? What are you going to do differently? The beginning of our workshops, we have this um, great talk. We learned from Mike Williams, who's been on this pod. He starts with the, every time with, will this work for me? 
the question up on the board. It's the question that's everybody's mind. I've come to this training course. You drag me out from what it is I'm doing, which is frankly far more important than this. And now I'm here. So will this work for me or not? And it's the problem is it's a yes or no question. And it's, I will accept this or I will not. And I'm looking for judgment right from the outset. But adding just the word how at the beginning of how will this work for me? It's a radical mind shift because you're now saying, okay, then let me see if I can find the angle. I think that really speaks to that. I, I've never not had it framed that way before that, you know, what's the creative thing that I can do with what it is I've just received. That's beautiful. And what I also like to say is, you know, there's the capturing and the consuming of the information and the creating, but the best way to make it happen is to have that moment of connection. So you can't just go from capture or consume to create. You have to bypass connection, whether that be spending the time really connecting with yourself or whether that be connecting with other people. But there has to be that moment because it's really easy for us to go from great, here's this idea, and then you go to implement it. You create something different from it. But going back to that question, will this work for me? There's a great idea. This author gives me this advice on how I should run my meetings. And then you go do it. And then it fails miserably. Right. right? So did you take that moment to connect with what are the values of my team? How does my team normally work? What are we doing right now? What is the strategy? What is our purpose right now? What is important now? Because this idea that you got from the book might not be important right now with where you are. There might not be enough psychological safety for you to start these like check-in questions or the softer stuff. You have to figure out what is the path from this idea to what you're going to create. And my way is through connection, my thinking. There's a number of different images that are coming to my head, particularly around the Jahari window, this idea yep. of you know, there's something that is unknown to you or and maybe known to others or the stuff that is known to others and and known to you and then you know and getting into the arena is when it's known to you and it's known to others and now we can play with it and work with it and, and take it out rather than it being hidden away and that idea of the arena of that being that shared space that shared connection you know i i, you know, I, I live in italy when I, when I think of an arena i think of the Colosseum, right that's one big big circle that we're bringing this learning into and I feel there's a little bit of that going on here. It's kind of says we're going to use that learning for stimulus and let's explore what that's bringing up and, and what we could take from that and what that could grow into, but let's kick it about in a space where it's not just one perspective. It's, it's many and it's, that gives us the leverage of so much more experience and insight and perspective. It's important, isn't it? I've never, th never thought about that, that duplication of perspective learning experience was that something that you kind of got from um from your school and your teaching environment where you were working with children and, and creating a learning experience or was that something that's kind of grown since then i think it just came naturally i mean one of the reasons why i went into education in the first place was because i was bored i was a bored student and i wanted to do it different. And maybe this was very egotistical of me. And I was like, I could do this better. Um, but I also wanted to be of service of other people. And so whenever I was teaching young children, I was always looking for creative ways to do it. So for me, that's my outlet for creativity in a way. How I design a book circle experience is my creative outlet. And the more engaged I can make it, 
the better. And I know that I learn best while I'm in it, not when I'm watching somebody else do it, but while I'm in it. And so part of it, yeah, is just come from how I like to learn best. I was in a gifted program when I was a young child. And the, the difference between my regular classroom and the times when I would go to the gifted program was night and day because the gifted program was all experiential. We were not reading about archeology. span We were getting out these clay tablets and we were writing out these, like making up our own language and we were breaking them apart. And then we were going to the neighborhood school and burying our you know, tablets in their yard. And they were doing their, burying their tablets in our yard and we were digging them up. Wow. And that was experiential learning. I think that learning needs to not be so one-sided. Mm. I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you what to know. Mm. And so when I create these book circles, it's about this is, and when people don't like the book, I'm like, great, fabulous. Tell me what that means about you. Tell me what that means about your values. Yeah. What's the biggest barrier that you've had? to overcome in order to make a difference in the organizations that you've been working with? My ego. And I think my, my desire sometimes to make it magical, right? I want to make this experience <laughs> so great and so memorable that sometimes I overdo it and then things just flop, Right. And I like, I'm trying to push too hard to make it this experience that it should be. Whereas if I had actually just sat back and gave them a really powerful question to journal around and then talk about in breakout rooms, that would have been all I needed to do. So I think my ego connected to my trying to make it be this magical thing. And yeah, those are the two things that oh, get in you're my own way. making me squirm now because, you know, uh, problem with being a trainer when you've been a professional actor is there's the part of you that goes right you've got an eight hour one man show now happy days and it's the, the exact opposite of what we're here to do there's a great yeah I, I love book titles where you don't need to read the book to get the point <laughs> right there's a book called who's in the spotlight it's for trainers <laughs> you know spoiler alert it's not you you know and trying to flip that focus into creating that that experience is it's um it's hard when you yeah i can totally relate to that yeah. how did you overcome it i haven't <laughs> <laughs> i think that i'm constantly playing with that idea i mean i think my our egos are there to to protect us and to be there for us but i think they can get in the way and so for me it's really about being aware of what are my triggers how do we know that learning is not being absorbed in our organizations how do we know when we don't have a culture of learning and professional development what are the clues what does bad look like i think one of the clues is whether you're doing it as the leader <laughs> Right because I think you. it's important <laughs> that you're modeling it and you're being transparent about it. So I just finished a book circle with a group and the manager of this team is actually in my book circle for individual leaders. And she's very transparent. And she said, hey, I've been with Teresa for two years. 
every other Thursday working on myself. And we read this great book and I would like to read it with us as a team. So I think it starts with modeling. Are you modeling it? And the second thing I'd say is, are you creating space for it? And are you doing it in a way that works for them? So are you not just saying, here's your catalog, go for it, choose what's available, but are you giving them an opportunity to do what works for them? So if you tell me that I have to go take an online training in front of a computer, I will most likely not follow through because connection is so important to me. Shared learning is so important to me, but for other people, they're going to do that. So I think it's about what are you offering them and is what you're offering worthwhile for them as they're learning, like in terms of what they like to learn. I think engagement is also a huge part. Are you creating space for them to talk about their learning? Are you creating space for them to learn in a shared experience? Mm. It could be the start of your meeting every day or the end of your meeting. What have you learned lately? So really making it part of the culture and making it part of the conversation and seeing what's happening. One of the organizations that I work for, they have a learning stipend that's outside of their traditional, like what they offer. It's a larger, there's, you know, 20,000 employees. Um, so they have their regular catalog of all in-house training, but then they also have a separate stipend where they can pursue other learning outside of what that catalog is. So making it available for them and saying, this is important. Learning is important. Please go, go off and come back and share. So I think another piece of it would be, are you creating the space for them to talk about it, but maybe come back and share what they've learned? So Andrew, you go off and learn this thing and I go off and learn this thing. What happens when we come back together? Is there five minutes in a meeting or 10 minutes in a meeting for you to teach us what you learned? And that goes back to this idea of the leader in every chair. So are you creating opportunities for the team to lead the rest of us or teach the rest of us? And that's one of the great ways to really make learning sticky as well is to move from learner to teacher. Hmm. Yeah, so that's, you, that's big. That's big. You, you got that space where you are trying to, you, well, that's deeper connection, isn't it? You're, you're taking connection with that learning that you've just received. You're having to process it through your way of communicating it in order to then be able to communicate it with others, which means you're speaking to your own experience. Mm -hmm. It's deeper. So if you've got, when it's not working, you know, you're not engaged with it. Um, people aren't talking about it. There's there's no space for it. There's no structure for it. Um, these are clues, but then I guess there's no engagement for it or things are being delivered in a very set way, which doesn't speak to the people that are there. So um, it's kind of like, here's how you can conform. Please follow these instructions in order to conform with the environment that's in. That's that's creating disconnection rather than connection, right? That's it's not embracing the person who's coming in. It's giving them the path to uh to conform with what's already present i'm trying to see if there's anything else that you see when you walk into an organization where it's not working i think it's working when you get you're getting pushback as well in a in a good way right because if people are fine with the status quo 
then they're willing to just keep going. That, that means they're not opening themselves up to learn new ways of doing things or learn new ways of thinking about things. So if people are pushing back and saying, hey, Andrew, what if we tried this? I learned about it here. So that pushback, but it, you know, in a, obviously in a respectful, positive way. But that also means you have enough psychological safety within your team that people feel comfortable pushing back. Now that's big. So you've got no, um, if you don't have the psychological safety and you can't get, so you're not getting any pushback. People are just accepting blindly what's being received, which means they may be going through the, the videos, but they're not necessarily connecting with or engaging with them. Um, so you've got probably a low engagement or connection rate um, and probably very little change in behaviors following the learning that they've gone through versus an environment where you've got pushback you've got connection you've got engagement people are are changing their behaviors and trying something new what else am i seeing when it's when we know it's working when people are engaging with learning people are taking initiative people are volunteering people are they're excited i mean i know that when i learn something new i get excited about ooh, where can i try this how can i do this and they're being experimental because again, we were talking about how not everything that we learn is gonna work for us. So are they willing to experiment with new things? I think that's another sign that it's working, that they're learning. Which again, then goes to that psychological safety that I can take risk and I yep. can embrace the failure and take that failure as feedback rather than um, opening myself up to attack or being told off or you know being called to task or held accountable because things don't didn't go according to plan right i'm giving being given that safe space to actually develop some new skills try new things out and to and to see where i can grow what else do we see more collaboration and reaching out across teams i think sometimes it's really easy for us to get stuck in our silos but when we're exposing ourselves to new ideas when we're learning and we're really trying to integrate those new ideas we're more open to moving, not just thinking outside the box, but moving outside the box, moving outside of our silos and bringing new people in. So I think that's like different ways of collaborating and collaborating outside of where we normally collaborate. That's one other thing I think you would see. Which speaks to a broader connection, right? So we're going from the micro into the macro and opening ourselves up to exchange, communication and growth. That's wonderful. Okay, so that's what bad looks like. And that's what good looks like. We've got disconnection, disengagement, um, surface level interest, and no pushback, just blind acceptance versus discussion, growth, collaboration, exploration of ideas, um, willingness to to try things out, to experiment, and a sense of psychological safety. How do we get from one to the other? What's the beeline? What's the fastest way I can shift that culture in my organization as a leader? Being vulnerable yourself and creating shared learning experiences. I mean, it doesn't have to be a book. Yeah, I'm here talking about books, but creating shared learning experiences that aren't just let's go do a meditation. I mean, I guess, yes, you could, you could bring a meditation person in and you could have that shared experience, but then what's happening after that? Is there continuity? Is there a debrief? Is there conversation around it? Is there that perspective, you know? So I think it's creating shared experiences, creating time and space for us to really talk about those shared experiences together 
and you as a leader being vulnerable enough to say, I am learning too. Vulnerability, debrief, shared experience. We're opening the path for learning here, but you know what? I think we're also opening the path for learning when we're going and pursuing projects and we're trying to make stuff happen. Um, one thing we're looking to build in with our teams at the moment is this idea of once a month, everybody, you know, we take it in turns to share something that's just that we've learned or that we've explored and create some kind of experience that is fun for everybody to participate and connect with, but that can share and communicate that growth or indeed facilitate it. And um, we haven't run one yet. It's an idea, but I grabbed it. It was kind of like, this is, yes, absolutely. Because of, I think many of the things that we're speaking to now, it's that it's that shared community around trying to grow, learn, try new things and experiment. Um, and I can see how just the simple idea of, of bringing a book into the mix that isn't just a, hey, recommended reading, but no, look, we're going we're gonna to invest in the learning that is here. This is, this is important. There's something which speaks to a problem that we've been having and some challenges that we've been having in the organization. So let's lean into this and let's create that organized time where we're going to come back, review it, explore it, share what's come up for us. And if you hate that idea, having read the book, then I really want you there because you've got a perspective on it that the others won't, aren't going to have. Is there more we can do as leaders to close that gap, to accelerate it? Well, it's interesting because I just had an idea that just popped into my head, but you know how, you know, in agile working, you you start the morning with a stand up, you know, yeah. and it's three questions. What if you started with, you know, a learning stand up? Like, what are you inspired by today? What are you hoping to learn today? And I don't know, I can't think of what another question would be, but starting with that and maybe ending with that, or what did you learn yesterday? What are you hoping to learn today? And what do you need support with? So just transforming those same questions that agile working uses into something around learning. It's really about the culture. And I think that, again, the, the man, the leader has to be willing to partake. So I have, you know, been brought in to lead a book circle with a team by the manager and the whole team shows up and the manager's not there and slowly attendance will drip, you know, trickles down, right? Why we're having these amazing conversations, but where's management? So it sounds to me a big part of the beeline there is to make sure that our that we as leaders show up for learning. It doesn't matter how expert we think we are, it doesn't matter how much we feel like we've been through it. And um, we've we've got to we've got to show up for the learning. Best book you've ever read? The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Oh, wow. That was right off the bat. So tell me, what's what is it that stuck with you personally about that book? Well, it's more of a personal development book than a professional development book. But it's about how we are with the world. So there's four agreements, obviously. That's the title. Don't make assumptions. Don't take anything personally. Be impeccable with your word and always be your best. And what struck me most was this idea of being impeccable with your word is not about just following through he uses this analogy of spreading poison that all these judgments that we have against other people even if we're not saying them out loud they're still there and we're still spreading poison in our minds even if it never comes out and that was something for me that was really 
uh, imperative for me to learn as a leader because it was sometimes really easy for me to look at the other leaders around me and say, again, like when I was teaching, when I was in school and I wanted to be a teacher, I could do this better. I did that as well. And it all comes back to my own sense of confidence and, and worthiness and all of that. So that was really important to me. The not taking anything personally. It's, I don't know if it's cultural, but growing up in the United States, I think there's this culture of we take things personally. And so separating someone saying no to an idea and someone saying no to me, those are two different things. So not taking things personally, not making assumptions. That's something we do all the time. Tell stories about what's happening and make assumptions. So that, and then the fourth one is do your best, but his, he has a caveat in that. And then it's not that your best is going to be the same every day. Teresa Desterbeck, how do people find you and connect with you if they are interested in working with you? So I am on LinkedIn at Teresa Desterbeck. It's Desterbeck with a Q. And then my website is EmergeBookCircles with an S dot com. And that's pretty much the only two places where I am. You've given us all real pause for thought about how much we need to pause for more thought to really embed our learning. And for that, I'm on behalf of all of us and all the listeners of Beeline, very grateful for. So thank you. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Um, my tagline is read deeper, not faster. But I also think you could lead deeper, not faster. Live deeper, not faster. Don't miss the next two episodes of Beeline when Andrew talks to the founder and president of the Romanian NGO, the Casa Association, former UK police officer and social entrepreneur, Ian Tilling. Ian is also Andrew's dad and a huge inspiration to everyone at The Hive. If you're interested to know more or could do with a reminder about today's episode or any of the other episodes in this series of Beeline, I've collated some notes, links and resources for you to explore and download at www.consultthehive.com forward slash beeline. The Hive Change Consultancy provides radically effective training, coaching and facilitation that enables a dynamic shift in leaders, sales teams and entire organisational cultures. Get in touch today for an informal chat with one of our team. My name's Gemma Aston and you've been listening to Beeline. Lead the way.